Locked On Dolphins, hosted by Travis Wingfield. Your daily podcast on the Miami Dolphins. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. I'm in town to play the Dolphins, you dumbass. What's up, Dolphins? And welcome into the Wednesday, July the 17th edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and as always, I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, training camp is now just eight days away. We continue the positional previews with the interior defensive line. Some interesting developments with that group from last year. A lot of changes to discuss. Plus, we look at another Dolphins opponent week six with Washington, and I explain not just why Dan Marino is not my favorite all-time Dolphin, but how I came to be the obsessed football nerd that I am with this team and with this game. All of that and more, but first, before any of it, I kindly invite each and every one of you to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating, leave us a review. You can find me on Twitter. It's at WingfieldNFL, the number one follow on Dolphins Twitter, as voted by Dolphins Twitter. And you can find our show's account at LockedOnFins, where we will follow you back with that account. Also, find LockedOnDolphins.com for all the training camp guide pieces. There is tons of detail on these players in those pieces that you guys can find from the podcast and the website as well. And last but not least, the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts, like the Locked On Heat podcast and Locked On NFL podcast, for all the local and national coverage of your favorite teams. We're doing something a bit different today, and I'm really excited to talk about it. Let's go ahead and jump right in. That's another Miami Dolphins. So those taglines you guys hear at the beginning of the show are part of our required script here at Locked On. The Locked On Network wants us to tell you what we're going to talk about first, how to find the show, where to find our other work and online, and most importantly, why you should listen to me in particular. And so this comes back to an article we dropped on the Locked On Dolphins website last week talking about our own personal all-time favorite Dolphins players. The entire Locked On Dolphins staff did this and how I and nobody listed Dan Marino on that list. And it brings me back to the idea that I've never really talked about why I'm the one in charge of this show, the one that you guys listen to every single day here on the Locked On Dolphins podcast, or why you should take my word worth any value. So let's go all the way back as a child in the Pacific Northwest. Football was not king. Baseball was. I was eight years old the season when King Griffey Jr. and the Seattle Manors made the incredible September run to close a 13-game gap and take the American League West crown from the Los Angeles Angels at that time. The Kingdome's roof was literally falling apart and a vote for a new stadium was turned down originally, but then that run occurred. The Edgar Martinez double to beat the Yankees in the divisional round of the playoffs that year occurred and Safeco Field became approved. Now, T-Mobile Park. Cool story, actually. I was in attendance for Game 6 of the American League Championship Series in 1995 against the Indians, and we had tickets. My dad, my brother, and I had tickets for Game 7 if the Mariners only could have sealed the deal, but they didn't. 
And the team that shared the kingdom with the Mariners, the Seattle Seahawks, the Pacific Northwest National Football League team, were awful. They were so bad. And the Dolphins were always on primetime. They always won. And it didn't hurt that I was just handed down a starter Dolphins jacket from my brother in the 1994 season. And my first memory of a Dolphins game was actually the Stojanovic miss against the Chargers in the 94 playoffs. So I began this run with heartbreak. How fitting. And baseball remained king in my household, even through the early 2000s. I even followed Junior to the Reds, got myself the extra innings package, and didn't miss a game. I played baseball throughout my entire life, and when we had road trips, I had to go out of town, and the Reds were on TV. I popped that VHS in and told my mom to record the Reds game because I wanted to come home and watch every single one of them, especially Griffey's at-bats. And that's not to say that my Dolphins love was not blossoming at the time. I lost my damn mind when Marino beat the Seahawks in that 99 wildcard play playoff game. I also lost every single tear in my body the next weekend when the Jaguars put that hurt on us that I won't go any more into detail on. I vividly remember Zach Thomas's flip into the end zone against the Titans on opening night ESPN Sunday night football. Jay Fiedler's quarterback keeper to beat the Oakland Raiders in that epic game and I think it was week two and as great as the early 2000s were the year that I really really became serious about football was 2005 and that was because I had just joined finheaven.com a Miami Dolphins message board that was really the only connection an 18 year old kid from Washington State had to the team in the pre-Twitter era the pre-Twitter days. At first I was a hot take machine, a punk 18-year-old kid. Then I started to recognize how many sharp football minds that were on that website because that was the only place we could go talk about Dolphins football. They had a paid section called the VIP that required a donation to the site to gain access to it to weed out some of the trolls and the lesser than posters that kind of don't add value to the site. I bought one and quickly realized how outmatched I was in football knowledge, communication skills, and writing. So I decided to do something about it and begun to record every single Dolphins game on VHS. I begun searching for literature to read on the game. I became obsessed with all things Miami Dolphins and all things football. And it was right after I graduated high school. So a lot of the competitive juice from playing basketball and baseball, not football, but baseball and basketball, I needed something to fill that void, so it was all that I thought about. It was all I wanted to do, so I polished up my writing, proofread my post on a freaking message board, and checked for factual correctness. After a solid couple of years of doing that and being consistent, the owner of the message board asked me if I wanted to write for the website, and I was completely honored, overwhelmed even. And then I upped my game another level after that. That led to another gig with a fan site that I want to say was called The Finsider, but not that Finsider. Maybe it was actually. I don't even know. It was like 2008, I think it was. But I remember my first piece, it had to have been 2008 because the first piece was called Are Two Backs Better Than One? Discussing Ronnie Brown and Ricky Williams before it was in vogue to have a complement of backs in the backfield because you see, my golden era of the NFL was all about pounding the rock with one guy 30 times a game, the Dave Wanstead way. My first Dolphins game was actually the 2003 Monday night football game against the Eagles, essentially the end of that season, the home loss. I was devastated. Hell, I somehow convinced my mom to let me stay home from Thanksgiving dinner at my grandparents' house that year when the Finns played the Cowboys in that epic victory. I'm telling you guys, I was not normal. I'm still not normal. I still try to get out of things on Sundays when the Dolphins are playing. 
I quit my first job in 2007 because I had asked for Sundays off starting in September. And when I was on the schedule, I said, yeah, I'm not going to be here for that shift. And they wouldn't budge. So I quit. Also that I could watch a 1-15 season, which is hilarious in hindsight. Also happened to be the first year that I had Sunday ticket. But to get back on track here, once I started to get those writing gigs, it went to another level. Because even though they were unpaid, I wanted to know as much as I could. So I studied the league. I would buy Pro Football Weekly season preview magazines and read the team pages for all 32 teams, memorize the roster, and recite them in my head over and over again when I would go for jogs in the neighborhood. I can and have been able to for more than a decade off the top of my head tell you who the projected starter is every summer at any position for any team. It's a sickness, man. Then we fast forward to 2013 when I got Game Pass and that's when things really started to change as far as my football acumen and knowledge. I'd watch every game I possibly could across the league and try to pick things up. I distinctly remember watching Ravens games right after Miami had signed Danelle Ellerby and saying to myself, Wait, why did they give him all that money? He wasn't that good on tape. And then another landmark moment. I lost my job in 2017, my actual job, my desk job. To put it shortly, they did me dirty. They hired me away from my previous company, promised fast promotion, and then changed management and fired me so the new manager could bring on her daughter onto the staff. Absolute dirty nepotism. It was horrible. That's when I started to build 3rd10.com though, and I'm sure 99% of you don't know what that is, but I went through every quarterback in the NFL for the 2016 season and had created my own grading system where every play was graded between negative three points and plus three points, and there was an average at the end of that. It was a lot of work. I wrote articles and updated the grading every single week. It was some of my finest work as a football writer, though not many people saw it except for David Locke. And David Locke saw it and reached out to me on Twitter. And I was in between Dolphins podcast at the time between the Finalysis podcast and this one. And he saw it and reached out to me. And we got to talking about the potential opening for the Locked On Dolphins gig. And he told me this, and I'll never forget it. He said, quote, I won't be able to make you rich, but I can pay you enough for a nice vacation every year, end quote. And that sounded great to me because I had been working for free for all those years. And even though that was a bit of a lie, my first few paychecks were like 18 to $25. And since some of you guys are curious and I like to be transparent, I might as well tell you, I don't make a total killing on this. And it varies depending on advertisers we have for the month or download numbers, obviously. But the two grand a month or so that comes in from the podcast is enough to get me by while I'm in school. So I built this thing on the back of years, a decade of work. They say you put 10,000 hours into something. That's when you become an expert. I think I've paid more dues than 10,000 hours, but I'm always learning, always searching for new knowledge. So that is my story. But how does this have to do with me not having Dan Marino as my favorite player? It's simple. First, the favorite isn't always the best, right? I mean, we have favorite players that are not the best players. I mean, I'm a contrarian that way. Guilty as charged. But remember how I referenced 2005 as the first time I really got serious about football writing? That was Chris Chambers' big year. I was obsessed with his game and defending him on Fin Heaven, even though I probably shouldn't have been. So for the longest time, it was him. But as time passed and I was offered the benefit of hindsight and the person that Ricky has become, Ricky Williams, has become as such an advocate for so many things that I believe 
believe in, it was easy to say that, yeah, that was my dude. I mean, the guy absolutely broke my heart in 2004, but looking back, the 2002 season was just so much fun, and it was because of Ricky and that defense. So that's why I was young when Marino was in his prime. My main memories are of him hobbling around on those two knee braces. If I was born just five years earlier, I'm certain he'd be my guy, but I wasn't, and he isn't, but he is still in my top five. All right, enough about me. Let's talk about some more current Dolphins and continue the training camp guide preview with the interior defensive line. But before we do that, is there some kind of issue going on in your interior that's preventing your exterior from pointing in the same direction up as the Dolphins' future? All those draft picks, all that money, don't let a great opportunity go by the wayside when you can easily fix the mediocrity with Blue Chew. Listen up, guys. That's blue like the color blue. BlueChew.com brings you the first chewable with the same FDA-approved active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, so you know they work. You can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach, and since they're chewable, they work up to twice as fast as a pill, so you can be ready whenever the opportunity arises. Blue Chew is prescribed online and ships straight to your door in a discreet package, so no in-person doctor's visit, no waiting in the pharmacy, and best of all, no more awkwardness. They're made in the USA, and since Blue Chew prepares and ships direct, they're cheaper than a pharmacy. Right now, we've got a special deal for our listeners. Visit BlueChew.com and get your first shipment free when using our special promo code Locked On. Just pay $5 shipping again. That's B-L-U-E-Chew.com. Promo code Locked On to try it for free. Blue Chew is the better, cheaper, faster choice, and we thank them for sponsoring the Locked On Dolphins podcast. So we are eventually going to get to the Dolphins' interior defensive line on the show today, as well as up on the LockedOnDolphins.com website. But I got interrupted by a potential special guest on the podcast today who wants to provide a testament from the previous segment about my football obsession, should we call it? And welcoming into the podcast for the first time after 465 episodes, the lifeblood behind the Locked On Dolphins podcast, Mrs. Wingfield, joining the show for the first time. What's going on? Well, I was having a nice, relaxing afternoon, and you forced me up here. So I don't know if I call it an invitation or um, holding a gun to my head. Well, it wasn't so much forced, but she did say she wanted to tell us a little bit about how I kind of duped you into thinking that I was less of a football fan than I am, and here we are four years later, and you now know that I don't miss any Miami Dolphins games. Duped is a good word. Tricked. I just thought you were an average fan who watched the game, talked about it with his friends, and left it at that. Here we are. I always thought that football ended in February. Football never ends in this household. And we know that on the Daily Dolphins podcast here on the Lockdown Dolphins podcast. And I actually did promise her vacations after the Super Bowl. More like just a little weekend getaway to Seattle the weekend after the Super Bowl. Yeah, that's right. I get one weekend, everybody. You guys get every other weekend. <laughs> so <laughs> so she gets me one weekend of the year. You guys get me every single day here on the Lockdown Dolphins podcast. Anything else you want to add or you want to get out of here? I want to get out of here. She wants to get out of here. Okay, so there she goes, everybody. Mrs. Wingfield here making her debut appearance on the Locked On Dolphins podcast. So we say goodbye to her, and she is pretty much right about that. I did kind of trick her because the year we met was 2015, and I was so turned off by the end of the Joe Philbin regime that I kind of 
wasn't as into the game as I normally am. So she got the watered down version of a Dolphins fan, of a football fan of me that year. But luckily we've had enough success on the podcast and it's enough of a job that I can justify spending so much time on football. So let's go ahead and spin it forward here and talk about the Dolphins interior defensive line. And I want to lay out the caveat here first that when you talk about the Dolphins defensive line, interior, exterior, there's so much mixing and matching going on and different guys playing different positions. I wanted to focus on the guys that are going to be in three and four point stances, not guys that stand up in a two point stance, move off the ball and play rush linebacker, so to speak. So guys like Charles Harris are not going to be in this group, but the rest of the defensive line is being taken over by Marion Hobby, the Dolphins defensive line coach who has had a very impressive run of coaching units across the NFL and college football. He came from Clemson Clemson for a six-year stint. He coached the Jaguars for two years, had the number one sack defense in the NFL a couple years ago. And of course, we all know about Clemson's defensive line over the years. But the change is really in the schematics and the way this defensive line is going to be a complete 180 from what it was a year ago in the wide nine scheme where the defensive ends were basically the primary focus of the defense. They rushed the passer and also had to set the edge on the way to rushing the passer. A lot was asked of those guys. And quite frankly, the one gap penetrating style scheme just seems like a bad practice to me because you're essentially trying to beat a guy to a spot just hoping that's where the football goes and that's kind of where the Ravens back on that Thursday night game in 2017 got the best of the Dolphins because they said if Ndamukong and Sue wants to one gap and get upfield we're going to trap block him we're going to wham block him and just knock him out of the play with a cutting across the formation tight end who digs him out so That was part of the reason for the transformation. The coaching change makes a big difference. And now we're going to see which of these guys can stick in the new style of defense. And it all starts with the rookie, the 13th pick in the draft, Christian Wilkins, who's going to be 23.7 years old opening day, $15.4 million over four years, a completely guaranteed contract. This guy is so accomplished. Two degrees, two national championships, two first-team All-Americans. He's a disruptive force inside, has unique burst and wiggle. He just has a very innate ability to get off blocks and get himself into the backfield, whether it's against the run or against the pass. He could stand to get a little better conditioned, and he's going to have to be because I project this guy playing 75% or more of the snaps and being the top snap getter on this defensive line. He's probably going to play some offense at fullback. He'll probably block some kicks. This guy's going to do everything. He's going to be your favorite player on this Dolphins team, probably in short order. The next guy on the list, Devon Godshaw, just absolutely rock solid in the middle. Two years left on his deal, 24.8 years old. He can hold the point of attack. He can take on double teams. And he showed some progress last year as a pass rusher. I think playing that two-eye and the three-technique spot fits him the best. Going back to Wilkins, he'll play anywhere between nose tackle and five-technique. Godshaw's probably more of an inside guy and the biggest dude on this defensive line for the Dolphins in the interior. Now, Vincent Taylor is the next guy here. And to me, the only thing holding back Vincent Taylor from becoming a household name across the NFL is opportunity and medical issues because he ended each of the last two seasons on the injured reserve. Although his rookie year, they put him there because it was a couple of week injury with only a couple weeks to go. So just save the roster spot. He's 25.7 years old, has the same deal basically as far as his remaining contract as 
Devon Godshaw, but he's a perfect three tech for this defense. He can play a little five eye, has a great motor, has fantastic run stuffing efficiency and good pass rush numbers. He just has to put it together a little more consistently. Devon Godshaw is consistently solid. Vincent Taylor has flashes of brilliance. If we can get those two guys to kind of become more like each other in that regard, we're going to have two damn good football players on our hands. So those are the first three guys, and they really kind of are interchangeable across that defensive line. They're going to play a lot of snaps. Beyond that, it's a bunch of rotational guys. Tank Carradine is the first one that comes to mind. He looks like a true five tech in this defense, a base five tech. He's very long. He can lock those arms out, hold the point of attack, has the heavy hands and the explosive metrics that the staff likes on the defensive line but he's always injured. He's missed 23 games the last two years. Can he stay healthy this year? Who knows, but he is basically one of those guys that anything you get from Tank Carradine is a bonus. I have him on the roster taking about 30% of the Dolphins' defensive snaps, and that's something to keep in mind with this defensive line. These guys are going to be specifically role-based, and it's going to be a lot of guys playing this or sharing the snaps rather across the entire line. So I have 75% for Christian Wilkins, 60% for Devon Godshaw, about 50% for Vincent Taylor to keep him fresh, and Tank Carradine at 30%. The next guy is my first surprise cut. Jonathan Woodard has one year in the NFL. He played pretty good through six games, had a sack, two TFLs, 10 total tackles, but I think that he might be a little bit miscast in the defense and fall victim to being a guy of the previous regime. And with the number of guys the Dolphins added this season on the defensive line, I think he gets cut as he is lost in the numbers game and a guy that maybe isn't the most situationally aware player on the football field. Those kind of traits don't fly with this staff. Up next, another surprise cut. I'm going to go ahead and cut Akeem Spence, who has one year left on the deal. They owe him $3.2 million regardless, but I think that he was part of that one-gap style of scheme under coach Chris Kusarek on the defensive line, going to a two-gap. It's not going to fit him. He got blown off the ball far too often last year for my taste, so I think he goes by the wayside. Adolphus Washington was an Uh, late signing in late May for the Dolphins. He is more of an interior pass rusher, and I think that's going to be his role on the football team. He can get up a little bit too high in his stance and doesn't really offer much against the run, but he can be a rotational three, four-eye, five-tech type of guy and be a 15% pass rush snap taker for this Dolphins defense. Up next, Jamius Pittman, another guy that has a good shot to make the roster. He's 24.9 years old. He missed the East-West Shrine game his before his rookie season because of an illness, and that kind of motivated him to work harder, and he's done that, and I think that that mentality will definitely make him a guy this Dolphin staff admires. I don't have room for him on the roster, but I will put him on the practice squad. So Jamius Pittman finds a spot on the practice squad. The next guy I think has a chance to be one of the gems of the Dolphins kind of under-the-radar signings of the offseasons. Joey Mbu, he has four years in the NFL, although he didn't play for most of two of those years. This is his first year with the Dolphins, obviously. 330 pounds. He was with Patrick Graham in the Packers last season, and an anonymous AFC defensive line coach said that Mbu was regularly praised for his leadership in college. I think that's exactly what this team wants. He's a power player that has the big, heavy hands, and the active hands help him keep clean as he searches for work down the defensive line. I've got Dwayne Hendricks here getting cut. Again, another UDFA that gets caught in the numbers game. I don't have a practice squad spot for him. I just don't think that he is enough of an edge setter in the run game to make this roster. But the other UDFA who can do that, 22 years old, a surprise non-drafty player, Jonathan Ledbetter from Georgia, number 98, six foot four, 280 pounds, 34 and a half inch arms. He's a natural read and react type of player that understands contact balance and gap integrity. He's versatile and he can fit this scheme essentially 
essentially perfectly, so he gets a job on the opening day roster. Corey Thomas, the rookie out of Mississippi State, I have him getting cut as well. He's a project player that needs more functional strength. Maybe he gets a chance on the practice squad, but I don't have a spot for him. And the last guy on the roster on the interior defensive line is the international pathway, Brazilian-born Durval Neto. He is number 69. Nice. Gotta love that. He's a fascinating player. Massive. His ankles are probably bigger than my thighs. This guy is a huge human being, and he has crazy athleticism to pair with that. He can do a standing backflip. He gets on the practice squad this year because the Dolphins are allowed to keep 11 practice squad players because of that international pathway exemption status, so long as Neto is one of them. So he is the 11th guy on the practice squad. This position, it's going to be a tryout type of year, an audition year, to figure out who sticks and who is not fit for the scheme. I think it's going to be interesting in that regard. I love those top three. The depth behind those guys will have to be developed this season, and we should get a great look at all of these guys all season long. I apologize for the speed of that segment getting short on time. We're going to come back on the other side and talk about Miami's week six opponent, the Washington football team. We'll do that next. Locked on Dolphins podcast at Wingful NFL at Locked on Fins. And since we are talking so much about the adolescence of myself on this podcast, I thought it was proper appropriate rather to go back to the music I listened to in high school the emo rock band era of my life and taking back Sunday but we press on and I'm gonna have to put the full court press on here over the next week of shows or so as I preview all of the Dolphins remaining opponents for the 2019 NFL season so I'll probably go to two per show here pretty soon probably tomorrow even but we wrap up today's show with the week six contest with Washington in Miami and this is one to feel good about because if you're into the whole winning football games idea this is the first team on the Dolphins schedule that I believe Miami will finish with a better record than in the 2019 season add the home game element coming off of a bye week this is one that I actually feel really good about a week six October 13th one o'clock eastern kickoff we start with the biggest change for Washington and it's the entirely remade quarterback position nobody had worse luck than them last year losing Alex Smith and Colt McCoy in pretty close succession I mean they had to play Mark Sanchez and then a guy from the AAF to play quarterback from them but now it's Dwayne Haskins who gets reps with the ones over Case Keenum so far in the offseason and I think he will start and have a shot to play pretty well in the Jay Gruden system they've got Darius Geis back with Adrian Peterson and Chris Thompson Thompson is a guy I think we should keep an eye on as Dolphins fans when he hits free agency he's a good fit for this offense the receiver core is rough man Paul Richardson is their top guy their best tight end is always hurt in Jordan Reed and another player Miami should keep an eye on in pending free agency is right guard Brandon Scherf. And Trent Williams is their left tackle. He's getting older, but this offensive line with Scherf and Williams is the best part of the offense. But you put a rookie quarterback in at Hard Rock Stadium against a defense that I think is going to communicate much better and just be far better coached than it was a year ago. I think the Dolphins can take it to Haskins in this one and just really put it on him. On defense, I quite like the Washington stop unit, at least up front. Deron Payne and Jonathan Allen is a ferocious duo in the middle. Ryan Kerrigan still doing his thing. The Dolphins offensive line going to have its work cut out for them with those one-on-one matchups, especially in a game that seems like the logical spot for Josh Rosen's first start. And moving back to the linebacker position, justice was served when Reuben Foster was lost with an injury this offseason. 
Good riddance for that scumbag. In the secondary, they're led by vastly overrated Josh Norman, and that's where we begin talking about the advantages where you can test this football team. I would go after Norman on short routes, screens, hitches, speed outs, swings into the zone, make him tackle, because frankly, that's not what he wants to do. I would run blitz the hell out of this team and commit safeties to the running plays, force them to attack downfield, and put pressure on Haskins, because he was guilty of getting a bit flustered against pressure in his last year at college at Ohio State. And after starting the season 1-3, and three, I think the Dolphins come off the bye week and smacks down this Washington football team. I think this is the first real convincing win of the Brian Flores era and one that gets people feeling pretty good about the direction of this football team. And to pound that idea home a little more, some notes from the Warren Sharp 2019 NFL Preview Magazine. Nobody ran the ball on first down more than Washington through the first half of the season last year. A clip of 62% first down running plays, a death wish according to Sharp, and it led only to 44% success rate on first down runs. Not good. When they did pass on first down, their success rate jumps 10% up to 54, and they go from 3.4 yards per play to 8.1 yards per play. So yeah, throw the ball on first down, but they won't do it. This isn't an Alex Smith or Adrian Peterson thing, though. It's a Jay Gruden thing. Washington has been a top 10 team in first down run rate since Gruden took over, and I think that will play right into Miami's hand, a defense that's designed to shut down the run and cover on the back end. Washington averaged 8.6 yards to go on second downs last year, 31st in the NFL, and if you listen to the podcast time and time again, you know that third down and long is where this defense really gets its rocks off for Brian Flores and the Miami Dolphins. Here's the craziest one of all of it. Jordan Reed's third down targets averaged 9.6 yards to go to move the sticks last year, yet his depth of target average on those passes on third down was 5.8 yards. Check down Charlie's this Washington team is. Actually, check that. The craziest one of all is that Washington has the second most dollars committed to its offense from the salary standpoint. Who the hell on offense is worth the payday for the Washington team? Trent Williams is, Brandon Scherf is, but he's still on his rookie deal. So this is a game that Miami probably should and will win going away. I think this is the worst team in the National Football League in 2019. Okay, and with that, we can go ahead and put a button on this edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. You all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating, leave us a review. Check out the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts for all your local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Follow me on Twitter at NFL. Follow the show at Locked On Fins. Keep up to date on the Daily Dolphins blog over at LockedOnDolphins.com. You guys have a great rest of your night. We'll talk to you again tomorrow for another edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast, your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football.